You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in, everybody. Oh, episode so six. It's fucking four. We're the podcast. It is Week America. The Untour Sports Podcast presented. By Betfred Sportsbook, it is Wednesday, December 28th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody had a great holiday weekend. Hope you got to relax, spend time with loved ones. Hope Santa brought you everything that you wanted for, that you asked for. And I hope everybody's ready for a fun midweek episode of the Aaron Torres Pod. Here's what you need to know. College football playoff is coming this weekend. The plan today, though, is to focus on basketball. Friday will be a mostly college football show. We'll preview the playoff. We will preview. We will preview the other bowl games, the Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl, all that good stuff. Today, though, I want to focus on college hoops because, one, we have a loaded slate tonight. Kentucky, Missouri, UConn, Villanova, uh, Arkansas, LSU, Mississippi State, Alabama, on and on and on and on and on. But what's more important than just the games tonight, we are officially at this point in go time of conference play. Now, we still have a conference out of conference game here or there, but everybody's basically in conference play. It's starting up. And what I want to do is kind of a midseason recap of everything that you may have missed so far. Who is who is the best team in college basketball? Who are the favorites? Who are the teams that are struggling? What about the Blue Bloods? Why do they stink? What about uh, the SEC, which is fascinating with schools like Missouri, LSU, Florida, uh, not Florida, they stink. LSU, Mississippi State, Missouri playing well. So with that said, college hoops heavy today. We will wrap the show also with a fun interview. Steve Rivera has covered the Arizona Wildcats forever. And if you're a college hoops junkie, especially one of a certain age, you remember Lute Olson as maybe one of the great underrated coaches in the history of college basketball. Well, Steve Rivera, who covered Lute Olson for decades, has a new book out now about Lute Olson, which we will talk about. So Steve Rivera coming up on top of that, a mid-season recap of all things college hoops. It should be a fun one. Before we get started, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, I have told you their whole story, and it, 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 I love their story. Started in 1967 in the UK, over 1,600 shops in the UK, and they have come to the United States and made a huge splash. 
They are the presenting sponsor, not only of Aaron Torres Media, but also the Denver Broncos, the Colorado Rockies, the Cincinnati Bengals. And that is why I'm talking to you about the Bengals specifically today. It is because January 1, this coming Sunday, legal sports betting in the state of Ohio. Betfred is throwing a launch party of the century, okay? January 1, Foling Warehouse. Foling Warehouse in Cincinnati. Betfred is throwing a, a crazy launch party. Anthony Munoz is going to be there. Uh, other special guests. They're going to give away dozens of tickets to the Monday night game. Bills, Bengals, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, potential AFC championship game preview. And as of right now, the thing is, your boy is intended to be there. Now, we'll see what happens with all this crazy Southwest stuff. But the plan is I will be there. But more importantly, Bedfred, I've told you, nobody takes care of their customers like Bedfred. And you will see it. If you live in northern Kentucky or the Cincinnati area, all you got to do, click on the link in the show description. You're going to want to come to Foling Warehouse January 1. Again, Anthony Munoz will be there. Other guests, I'm going to hopefully be there. 30-plus tickets to the Broncos, Bills, are the, the Bengals Bills Monday night game, Allen versus Burrow. And oh, by the way, an all day betting contest to determine who is the best better in the state of Ohio. Take advantage now. Click the link in the show description. You will not be disappointed. Folding Warehouse on January 1st. And with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I will just tell you this week right here. It is actually a genuinely fun week to be a college sports fan. Hopefully most of you have a lot of time off or at least some time off from work. But beyond that, if you do, you got nothing but sports on TV. We basically got bowl games all day, every day, increasingly getting better. And college hoops is really about to ramp up here over the next couple days. And so what I want to do now, what I want to do on today's show, I, I don't think we're going to do like other pot. We're not going to do the mega bowl preview because the bottom line is this. We know which bowl games matter. Uh, we know which ones don't. I think most of them are for entertainment purposes only. Uh, you know, I, I, the Alamo Bowl between Washington and Texas is fascinating. I don't think we need to break it down for 15 minutes here. And so I bring it up solely because I think Friday's show will be the day that we kind of focus on bowl preview, what you need to know, the big games, obviously the two college football playoff games, but also the Sugar Bowl with Alabama and Kansas State, the Orange Bowl, which will be Friday night between Clemson and Tennessee, on and on and on and on and on. Today, though, I do want to focus on college basketball because I'll say this. we are It is really go time in college basketball right now. Now, we haven't technically reached the halfway point of the season, but kind of on the calendar, we've sort of reached about the 40 to 45% mark. Most teams play 31 regular season games. Most teams are at about 13, 14 regular season games. So we're uh, played already, I should say. So we're not quite at, you know, the 50% mark, but with conference play starting this week, basically everywhere, most conferences, the big East, the big 12, the big 10, excuse me, the ACC have already started this week, starting tonight, the SEC gives us a loaded slate. We got LSU, Arkansas, we got Auburn, Florida, we got Mississippi state hosting Alabama, both ranked teams. We also, oh, by the way, have uh, have Kentucky going to Missouri. Missouri's 11 and one. So we're going to get a loaded slate tonight. Villanova at UConn, by the way, no big deal there. Loaded slate this evening. And then it's really go time in college hoops. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is really just kind of reset college hoops here at just about the halfway point. 
what you need to know, who are the contenders, who are the pretenders, who's overrated, who's underrated, what conferences do you need to be worried about, all that good stuff. So let's get into it, and let's start. And to me, the number one question in college hoops right now is pretty straightforward. Who's number one? And obviously coming into the season, it was North Carolina. Houston had its bite at the apple. But really, this conversation, I do think, comes down to Really, most people think it's two teams. I would argue there is a third as well. So let's get into it. The two teams, obviously, that everybody thinks are in the running for number one or number two, or number one, I really should say, I think it's Purdue and UConn, okay? And so I'm not going to belittle either one, but I would say this. If I had an AP vote, I think there is one team that is definitively better than everybody else. I don't think it's particularly close. And I do think it's UConn. And I know everyone's going to say, Torres, you're a homer. Torres, you love UConn. Torres, you only say nice things about UConn. Blah, blah, blah. Torres, you sell those Mora Hurley shirts that are selling off the chains, which you should get yours, by the way, AaronTorresOnline.com. Merchandise, neither here nor there. Bottom line is, I'll just say this about UConn. I do not believe that I'm being a homer by saying that I believe they are the best team in college basketball, and I don't even think it's particularly close. One most impressive stat in the sport right now is pretty straightforward. 13-0. and 13 wins by double figures. Now, all of them have been dominant. Their last game prior to Christmas break, they struggled for a large stretch against Georgetown. But the bottom line remains, this is a team that has won 13 games by double figures all 13 times that they have stepped on the court. And it's not as though they haven't played anybody either. I think that's the other part. Oh, who have they played? Well, Alabama's in the top 10 right now. Beat Alabama by double figures. Iowa State is a team that should be in the top 25. They currently sit at 10 and 2. UConn smoked them. UConn smoked a good Oregon team in Oregon. They beat Oklahoma State at home. They beat Florida on the road. They're 2-0 in Big East play. So don't tell me they haven't played anybody, and they have beaten the crap out of basically everybody. But why I like UConn, it's not just the the, the raw 13 wins by double figures. When I watch them, and I've heard other people who cover college hoops say this, but I do think there's something to it. I don't know what their weakness is. I don't know if they have a weakness. They go about 9, 10 deep, and I've said this before. This is how deep UConn is, okay? They have a fresh a transfer from Virginia Tech named Naheem Aline, who averaged just under double figures at Virginia Tech last year. Virginia Tech won the ACC tournament. Virginia Tech played in the NCAA tournament. He is probably UConn's ninth to 10th best guy on this team, and I'm not being facetious when I say that, and that is not an insult. It just shows you how deep this team is. They really go too deep at every position. And again, I don't know what their weakness is. They shoot 37% from three. So you can't, you know, they they beat you from behind the arc. They're number two in the country in rebound rate. In other words, of all the rebounds that go up, they're number two in the country. They're number five nationally in assists per game. And so you look at it. I mean, just, just think about what I just told you. If you take care of the ball, if you pass the ball, if you distribute the ball, if you hit open threes and if you rebound, that that's a tough team to beat. And I'll take it a step further. This stat kind of blew me away. UConn is in both the top 20 right now in scoring offense in terms of points that they score and scoring defense. So they're scoring a lot and they're holding you to a little, that is incredible because in general, when you play fast, when you score a lot, that generally means that the other team is probably going to score a lot as well as a byproduct. 
That is not the case at UConn. They are completely dominant. They have right now, as I record here, uh, they have seven different players, six different, seven different players averaging at least seven points per game. Adama Sonogo, preseason Biggie's player of the year, 18 points, seven rebounds. Donovan Klingon, the up and comer, playing really well. Obviously, Andre Jackson, who I think will be a first round pick. I had dinner with an NBA executive when I was out in Vegas a few weeks ago. He loves Andre Jackson. Um, you know, he said Andre Jackson would have NBA. He would be a top five athlete in the NBA if he stepped onto a court tomorrow, leading the team in assists. Jordan Hawkins, a guy that I have loved, 14 points, 42% three-point shooting. I'm just telling you, I think UConn's the deepest, most balanced, no flaws team in college basketball. They are number one in my book. But I'll also say this. I think there are two other teams that if you want to argue are number one, I'm not going to fight you on. One is the team that is actually number one in the polls. That is the Purdue Boilermakers. And one thing that does drive me a little bit crazy about polls is the unwillingness of pollsters to move teams based on what actually happens on the court. So the reason that Purdue is number one over UConn, both teams are undefeated. It's because Purdue got in the poll first. They kept moving up. UConn got in after them. UConn kept moving up. And Purdue's, only, I think, only number one because of the fact that they were in the poll first. With that being said, if you believe Purdue's number one, I'm not going to fight you for a few reasons. One, they do have a couple really nice wins on the schedule. They beat Gonzaga on a neutral court. They beat Duke on a neutral court. Actually, in the same tournament that UConn went 3-0, Purdue won the other side of that bracket, and they beat a West Virginia team that's now ranked as well. So just out in Portland over Thanksgiving break, they beat three teams that are currently ranked in the top 25. Beyond that, I talked, they also beat Marquette at home too, which is a really good team, which I should mention. Beyond that, I just talked about the way that UConn rebounds the ball. I said UConn's number two in total rebounding rate. You know who's number one? The Purdue Boilermakers. You know who's the pre uh, midseason national player of the year? It's Zach Eady, the starting center for Purdue. And so as I go through this list, if you want to say Purdue is number one, I have no problem because they have the, the, the wins that justify it. They have a national player of the year candidate. They play real defense. They play, uh, they rebound the crap out of the ball. My only knock on them, couple close losses, unlike UConn, barely survived in overtime at Nebraska, barely survived. They beat Davidson by eight in a game that was pretty close. But again, national player of the year, rebound the ball well, like UConn, pass the ball well, shoot the three ball well, not a lot of weaknesses when it comes to Purdue. Finally, what I would say, I think there's a third team that you can make the argument is the number one team in the country. And I don't know if anyone's going to do it. And I even heard their coach say that he's unhappy with some things that are going on with the team right now. I would say the Arizona Wildcats to me are a team that I believe you could make the argument is the best team in college basketball. Now, I don't think you can necessarily justify putting them at number one, but I think you can make the argument they're the best team. So first of all, Tommy Lloyd, the head coach, obviously we've talked about him a lot came from Gonzaga, brought that style of play with him. And right now, Arizona, as I've said a few times this season, is looking more like Gonzaga than Gonzaga. Averaging 90 points per game, like UConn, 37% from three. Now they turn the ball over a little bit more than I think Arizona fans would like, but it's partly because they play so fast. It's partly because they share the ball so well. Arizona actually number two in the country in assists. Ironically, you know who's number one in the country? It's Xavier coached by Sean Miller, the former Arizona coach. So Xavier, number one, Arizona, number two. 
Arizona number three in the country in rebound rate. So how about that for a set? I think rebound rate is a very important stat when it comes to determining who are good teams and who are, who maybe not good teams, but what is sustainable success? Because if you get a bunch of offensive boards and you keep the other team off the offensive glass, that is a stat that I think translates to any level, any, any sport, any, you know, any team you can go on the road, neutral court, whatever. So how about that rebound rate? Number one in the country is Purdue. Number two is UConn. Number three is Arizona. I didn't even know that until I started doing the homework. But what I like about Arizona is a couple of things. One, score, score basketball. And they just, they can beat you in so many different ways, right? Azulis Tubelis, I think, is maybe the the one of a couple breakout players nationally. Umar Balo might even be more impressive than him. 17.9 rebounds per game. Arizona, like UConn, shoots the ball well, 37%. Courtney Ramey, I don't even think has played that well for them. And he is coming on strong. And it shows you how deep this team is. And I think the, the, the game the other night against Tennessee, and I know Tennessee fans are going to be mad, but the fact that they put up Tennessee on one of 75 points on Tennessee, one of the best defenses in college basketball, that speaks to me about how deep this team is, how talented this team is, and how well they can score putting up 75 points on Tennessee. Very good sign for Tennessee that they could hang with them as well. But Arizona, to me, I think is in the mix. Also worth noting, like these other teams, great resume so far. Neutral court winning against San Diego State. Neutral court winning against Creighton, which doesn't look great right now. We'll talk about Creighton in a minute. I do think it will hold up, though. And then beyond that, I'll take it a step further. Beat Indiana on a neutral. Beat Tennessee at home. They do have one loss, unlike UConn and Purdue. But as I told you, I don't judge teams based on just wins and losses because I do think context matters, okay? Arizona's only loss came the game after they got back from the Maui Invitational. So they, they go to Maui, they play three straight games in three straight days, they fly out, you know, probably 8 o'clock at night on a Thursday. They probably land uh, or they on a Wednesday. They land, and a few days later, they go on their first road trip to, in the Pac-12 to Utah. That was their only game they lost, was right after Maui. And you look at all the teams that played in Maui, the next game is a struggle. It was a struggle for Arkansas. Arkansas fans know that. It was a struggle for San Diego State. They had to win a game at the buzzer. It's obviously been a struggle for Creighton. So Arizona, to me, is the third team that I would consider number one in the country. Next group of teams. Really quickly, I want to hit on the next group, then we'll talk the Blue Bloods, and then from there we'll take a quick break. The next team. The next group. So so let me let me even backtrack. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's Tuesday. I haven't recorded in a minute. I'm fired up. Forgive me. This is what we're going to do. We just talked about three teams that I think are number one. So now, the question many of you I know are asking. You're sitting there. You're, 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 you're tapping your toe wondering. You're saying, Torres, well, if those are the three best, what's the next tier behind and the next tier behind him has a few teams that are interesting to me. I do think that tier starts with Houston. Houston's only loss was at home to Alabama. And listen, I know we got a lot of Bama fans that listen to this show. I'm not trying to discredit the win. But never forget in that game, Houston led by 15 points at one time. And they ended up not being able to close out that game. Credit to Alabama for winning it. Nobody remembers how who was up, who was down. When they look at tournament resumes later on in March, the only thing they're going to care about is who won that game. Alabama won at Houston. I thought Houston, though, had a very nice bounce back a week later, winning at Virginia. They've taken care of business against everybody else. And I do think they're in that next tier. 
Big road win at Oregon earlier in the year. And the one thing that Houston does better than anybody is they rebound the crap out of the ball. We've talked about it with them before. But in terms of Houston, what they do, and this is, you know, to me, we talk about stats that are important. I just talked about rebound rate, if you remember a minute ago. Well, Houston isn't on top in rebound rate. But where Houston is really good, they are number three in the country behind only Tennessee and Alabama in terms of offensive rebounds. And so the number of second chance opportunities they get just by playing harder than you, I think it keeps them in every game. And I think they have the dudes to back it up. Marcus Sasser, 16 points per game. He hasn't even been great this year. I think there's another level for him to get to. Jamal Shedd, I believe, has been a breakout player. You might not notice it, but he's averaging six assists per game. One of the top assist guys in college basketball. Jarris Walker down low is a really talented player. This Houston team, they're not going to have an amazing resume like UConn or Arizona or whatever. Um, but I do think they are a team that is capable of winning a national championship. I'm going to throw you a little curveball in terms of a team that I think can win the national championship. That's the UCLA Bruins. And I know what you're probably going to sit there and say, oh, UCLA, come on. Da, da, da. Did you see what they just did on the East Coast a few weeks ago against Maryland and Kentucky? They went to Maryland and destroyed a good Maryland team. And then obviously the Kentucky game, we already talked about it. It speaks for itself. Wasn't pretty. Wasn't good for Kentucky. Um, and the bottom line remains that when I look at this UCLA team, this is what I see. I see a team. So as I've covered college hoops through the years, there are a few things that you need as a college basketball program to ultimately reach your potential as a national championship contender. Okay. You need NBA players. You need star, you know, NBA caliber players, I think are number one. You need a veteran point guard. You need to be able to shoot the ball. You need to be able to play defense, all of that good stuff. I bring it up. You need tournament experience, by the way. One, there's no team in college basketball that has more tournament experience than UCLA right now going to a Final Four last year uh, or going to a Final Four two years ago, making the Sweet 16 last year. A, a good chunk of those guys are back, including their three best players. And so I look at UCLA and what impresses me about them, I like how all the pieces fit. You have the veteran point guard, Tiger Campbell. You have Amari Bailey on the wing who can be a point guard if you need him, but he can also handle the ball and take over, and he can also play off the ball as well. You have Jaime Jaquez, the kid who destroyed Kentucky a few weeks ago. You have Jalen Clark, who I think is the best defensive player in college basketball. Two and a half steals per game. One of the tops in that category in college basketball. David Singleton is shooting the you-know-what out of the ball. Like UConn, like Arizona, UCLA shoots 37%. So they are another team that I do believe is in the hunt for a national title. And I'll throw one more out there right now. And there's others that could emerge, right? If I don't mention your team, it doesn't mean by the end of the year they can't get there. Doesn't mean that Tennessee can't get there. Doesn't mean that even Bama, I think Bama has a turns the ball over a little too much for my liking. Doesn't mean they can't get there. There is one more team, though. Baylor's another one. I don't think they're there yet. I think they can get there. Virginia, I don't think they're there yet, but they can get there. The other one that I would say, I do think it's the Arkansas Razorbacks, okay? And Arkansas right now, your fans, I know what you're thinking. Torres, have you seen the injury news? Trevin Brazil, best big guys out for the season. Nick Smith Jr. out indefinitely with a knee injury. And so I'm not saying Arkansas will get there right now this second, but I'll say this. If you get Nick Smith back, that starting five is as good as anybody in college basketball. The thing about Arkansas, and I've said this before, they have three or four guys that can take over, can take over games in a way that, you know, I don't know that 
Tennessee has one guy that can take over. I don't know that maybe Houston has Sasser, but there's some teams, I don't know if they have one guy that can take over a game. Arkansas has three. We saw Anthony Black do it in Maui. Ricky Council, the wing from Wichita State, is uh, their leading scorer. And Nick Smith, if he plays, obviously is capable of doing that. And so you add them in. Jalen Graham has come on over the last couple weeks. He is, of course, the, the transfer from Arizona State. The Mitchell twins are playing better. I still think all of the pieces are there for Arkansas. Now, do they get there? That's another question. Can they get Nick Smith healthy? That's the important one. Keep an eye on Nick Smith. I think he is the X factor. He is the one that you need to follow. If they can get that kid healthy, I think Arkansas is a team that can win a national championship. I just want to do, do want to take a quick break. Do want to come back, hit on the other thoughts that I have at the midseason point of college basketball. We'll hit on some disappointing blue bloods. Who should you be worried about? Who should you not be worried about? We'll talk about some conferences, specifically the SEC, the Big East, the Big 12, maybe. Take a quick break, and we will be, where will we be? You know where we'll be. We'll be perfect. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back the sponsor of our Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pickup Challenge. I am, of course, talking about Bracket Phonetics. By now, you know all about Bracket Phonetics. I have been working with them for years, multiple NCAA tournaments this year. Bracket Fanatics decided to get into the NFL space, and they are doing the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge. We are doing the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge, courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. What do you need to do? How do you need to sign up? How can you take advantage of Bracket Fanatics? Let me tell you right now. All you got to do, go to BracketFanatics.com. Click the tab, join Bracket. The Bracket name is Torres, and here's what happens when you sign up. All you got to do, every single week, pick every single game, on the NFL slate, not against the spread, not over under, just pick every single game. And here's what happens. Winner every single week gets a hundred dollars cash courtesy of bracket fanatics. So bracketfanatics.com, join bracket bracket name Torres, pick the games. Every winner every week gets a hundred dollars cash courtesy of bracket fanatics. And here's the cool part. When the season ends in a few weeks, you can still get a thousand dollar season long cash prize that goes to the ultimate winner courtesy of bracket fanatics not too late to sign up you'll automatically be entered to win the hundred dollar weekly winner all you gotta do bracketfanatics.com join bracket bracket name torres tell them torres sent you bracketfanatics.com 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. And I want to talk about some more things related to college basketball. Again, if you're a college football junkie, you don't care about college basketball, come back for Friday's show. We're going to have plenty on the college football playoff and the other big bowl games. But at the same time, tonight, as I said, it is a marquee night in college basketball. Villanova at UConn, Mississippi State hosting Alabama, Missouri hosting Kentucky, LSU hosting Arkansas, on and on and on and on and on. And what I want to do now is keep the conversation going on what I deem to be the biggest, best, and most interesting stories through college hoops so far. In the first segment, if you somehow skipped it for some strange reason, we talked about the three teams that I believe you can make the argument are number one in the country. And then we also talked about, on top of that, that next tier behind them, UCLA, Kansas, um, whoever, Arkansas, I think, was in that mix as well. What I want to do now is talk about some teams that I think if you had asked me a month ago, six months ago, after the season, who would be in that mix but are not, I want to talk about the Blue Blood. Because it's very interesting that I just did a preview on who I think are the best teams in college basketball in that next tier. No Duke, no North Carolina, no Kentucky, no Villanova. Wanted to spend a few minutes talking about each. I'm calling this segment the Blue Blood Blues. Basically, want to talk about these big programs, and I want to tell you how concerned I am as a consumer of college basketball about each of them. So let's start with Duke. I think Duke is kind of the most interesting one, and and we've talked about them a little bit before, but they're weird, right? 10-3 and record as we record here. The positive is they do have the good win-loss record, and to their credit, they actually do have a lot of really good wins. They beat Iowa on a neutral court. They beat Ohio State at home. They beat Xavier on a neutral court. So a couple really good wins, couple up in Portland, uh, one at Madison Square Garden with Iowa in the Jimmy V Classic. But also I think it is worth noting, and this is where I'd be a little bit concerned about Duke, two best teams on their schedule, lost to Kansas, lost to Purdue in Portland. That's the positive, that's the negative, where they are with the wins and losses. Now in terms of Duke themselves, I think they're very interesting for this reason. It's hard to gauge them. Because the two guys that I think we thought were going to be the stars of this team have really been limited. Derek Lively, number one player in America, according to some recruiting services, has been very limited and has barely played at all, as a matter of fact. Last game against Wake Forest. Now, they did lose their ACC opener at Wake Forest. I think that's worth noting as well. Lost to the two best teams on the schedule. Also lost their only true road game. But on top of that, the guys that they need to be great are just not playing great right now. 
Derek Lively, who I thought was going to be the best freshman in college basketball, he dealt with some injuries early, missed the Wake Forest game with some with a, a non-COVID illness. Speaking of non, forget non-COVID illness. He's been a non-factor so far this season. Played in only 11 of 13 games, averaged four points and four rebounds per game. Now, he does have two blocks per game, but this is not the guy that we all thought he was going to be. On top of that, Dariq Whitehead, probably the maybe the most NBA-ready of all of their freshmen. He has struggled as well. He's missed time with injury. Remember, he had a foot surgery and a foot problem in the preseason. Has come back, has looked good, is averaging about seven points per game. But it's hard to gauge Duke because you can't really gauge him when the two players that you expected to be great are not great. Their two best NBA draft prospects are not playing like that right now. Now, on a positive, Kyle Filipowski, the third freshman in this group, they have five overall, but I think those were the big three, Lively, Filipowski, and Derek Whitehead. Filipowski's been awesome, averaging 14.5 points per game, nine rebounds per game. He has shown the ability to hit threes, though not consistently. And so in terms of Duke, in terms of how concerned I am, I'm going to give you a, a scale of concern for all of these teams. I'll put them at about a six with zero being no concern at all, but 10 being the best and or 10 being like 10 being end the season right now. It's over. There's no reason to even play games. So if I'm getting grading Duke on a scale of zero to 10, I do put them in about a six because I do think even two, three weeks ago, I remember talking about Duke after the trip to Portland. And I said, it's hard to get too worried about them because they really haven't had their two best players for most of the early part of the season. Well, now we're basically into January. We're basically into league play. And as bad as the ACC has been, like there are good teams. And if Duke does not get those guys going, they're going to be in trouble. They open ACC play on this coming Saturday, December 31st against Florida State. Then they play at NC State. They have Miami, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest again, and North Carolina all between the first week of, of, of January and the first week of February. Those are four or five NCAA tournament teams right there. Miami, I don't know if people even realize, is ranked in the top 15 right now. And so I only bring it up because of the fact that I, I just I, I, I'm not totally worried about them. But at some point, you do have to get guys back and you do have to get them healthy to reach your full potential. I would put Duke at about a six on the concern scale, the AT concern scale, if you will. Let's keep it going. Let's go across Tobacco Road, and let's go to the rivals of the Duke Blue Devils. That is the North Carolina Tar Heels. North Carolina, they were, to be blunt, to be clear, my preseason national championship pick. Coming off last year's run to the national title game, they, of course, beat Duke both in the final game of Coach K's regular season career at Cameron Indoor, and then, of course, in the final game of Coach K's career period against uh, Duke in the Final Four. And so you look at North Carolina, they returned four starters. They were my preseason pick to win the national championship game and to win the national championship. And they just have not looked apart so far at one point, lost four games. I remember talking about them both after the PK 85 event, as well as the Indiana loss. And I did say like bottom line, they do not look very good right now. And a lot of the concerns that we had about them at this time last year are starting to creep up again. Inefficient shot selection from Caleb Love, bad three-point shooting, bad spacing, too many turnovers, too, too little ball movement. But to North Carolina's credit, I do think they're starting to figure things out. They have, after that four-game losing streak, have won four in a row. That included their ACC opener against Georgia Tech. 
as well as a neutral court win over Ohio State in the CBS Sports Classic and a neutral court win in theory against Michigan in North Carolina. Wasn't really a neutral court, but you kind of get the point. Most importantly for North Carolina, I think they're starting to figure out the pieces and Armando Baycott, who was the key to their final four run last year, ACC player of the year runner up, is starting to play like that guy. 26 and five the other night versus Michigan. Remember, Michigan has an All American in Hunter Dickinson and also 28 and 15 versus Ohio State. North Carolina, to me, of all the teams we're going to discuss, I feel the least concerned about. It's taken them a minute. I do think they're figuring it out. If I had to put the the concern meter, I'd probably put it at about a 4.5 as long as they can keep Armando Baycott on the court and healthy and running things through him. I think they're going to be just fine. Let's keep it going. And you know where I'm going next. I'm going to the big blue, uh, you know, the, the bluegrass, big blue nation, Kentucky Wildcats. And I've talked about Kentucky a ton. Talked about John Calipari after the UCLA game a few weeks ago. I'm kind of over the give us time. I'm kind of over tweaks. I'm kind of over this. Show me something, Coach Cal. Right now, in the in, on a positive note, Kentucky is 9-3. and three. To their credit, they have taken care of everybody that they are supposed to beat on the schedule. Problem is they don't really have any great wins. They did beat Michigan in London in a game where Michigan's starting point guard got hurt and unfortunately is out for the season. But the problem with Kentucky, and we all know what it is, Look at the marquee games on their schedule. Michigan State, neutral court, lost in double overtime. At Gonzaga, even though it was sort of a neutral court, but it really wasn't, lost in Spokane. Wasn't even competitive, really, to be honest. And then, of course, a few weeks ago, they played uh, UCLA in that CBS Sports Classic. It was ugly. Lowest point total in 10 years for this Kentucky team. And so I think at this point, you don't need me to tell you the concerns about Kentucky basketball. Do they have the pieces? Does John Calipari know how to implement the pieces? And at some point, it's go time. I'll tell you this. They play a very good Missouri team on the road tonight at Missouri. If that team does not come ready to go, they are not winning that game. I am just telling you right now. I don't know if that's my official pick. I think Kentucky is about a one-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. I probably lean Missouri the way Kentucky's playing right now. They got plenty of time to figure it out. But at a certain point, do they have plenty of time? Again, no real non-conference resume to speak of, and they have to start getting marquee wins. And I'll tell you this for Kentucky. They do have Louisville after Missouri, but it doesn't really get much easier from there. After the Louisville game, they will host LSU early next week. Then they travel to Alabama. They also have a, a trip to Tennessee early this month. Remember, Rick Barnes has largely owned John Calipari. Kentucky's got to figure it out quick. We'll see if they do. Finally, in terms of the Blue Blood Blues. Oh, by the way, Kentucky, I would put it at about a six and a half, seven in terms of the concern scale because I don't know if they have the pieces and I don't know if John Calipari is going to play the pieces that he needs to. I would put that at about a six and a half and a seven. Uh, finally, Villanova. Villanova may be the most interesting team on this list. Seven and five overall. At one point, they had lost a bunch of games. They went 0-3 in that Portland tournament. But to their credit, they're starting to figure it out. The, B- the key piece here with Villanova... Cam Whitmore, uh, their star freshman. He was out early. He has come back and he has largely made them look like a different team. Overall, they're just five and seven, seven and five, excuse me, seven wins, five losses. But they're five and oh since Cam Whitmore came back. He is averaging 12 and a half points, including a 21 point performance against Penn. 
They have had a couple good wins since he got back. They beat St. John's at home. They beat Oklahoma at home. And so I think Villanova starting to figure it out. They do play a big one at UConn tonight, and the spread in that one is huge. It's about 14 points, believe it or not. UConn is favored. So we're going to find out more about Villanova. But in terms of the concern scale for Villanova, I would put it at about a six only because I think they figure it out. And as we'll discuss in a minute, the Big East is a little bit down, but they got to start winning games and winning games in a hurry. They did themselves no favors in the out-of-conference, although, like I said, they did by the end of the out-of-conference pick up a nice win against Oklahoma, but they have a couple of really bad losses on the resume. At Temple, Temple's not good. Portland and Oregon, who is not good either. So Villanova's really got to make some moves in the Big East, got to pick up some quality wins just to get into the tournament. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Let's wrap it up with a couple other news and notes items from the early part of the college hoop season. I'll tell you, I think the most interesting league in college basketball is the SEC, okay? And why the SEC is so interesting is for a few reasons. One, I don't think anybody knows what to make of Kentucky. We just talked about them. There are three other teams that I think most people believe are at the top, Alabama, Arkansas, and Tennessee. What's fascinating about them, all three teams have had great moments this year. All three teams have concerns, and so let's get into them really quick. For Alabama, Alabama played maybe the toughest out-of-conference schedule in America. They've already played UConn on a neutral court. They have already played Michigan State on a neutral court, North Carolina on a neutral court. They have already played Gonzaga in theory on a neutral court. So just think about that. UConn, Gonzaga, uh, North Carolina, and Michigan State. Oh, and then by the way, they went to Houston when Houston was number one in the country, and they hosted a good Memphis team as well. That is as tough of a six-game out-of-conference schedule as I can imagine And to their credit, they're going into SEC play tonight with just two losses. That's the positive on on Alabama. The negative is two things. One, just dealt with an injury to a key player, Namari Burnett. Really good two-way guard who I think takes pride in playing on the defensive end. How do you bounce back from that? And then two, they do turn the ball over a lot, which is kind of surprising because they have so many guards on that team. But they do turn it over about 17 times per game. They have to get that solved. If they want to keep having success, keeping it going, uh, other teams in the SEC, you know, Tennessee is kind of the opposite. Alabama's great at scoring. Tennessee is one of the elite defensive teams in college basketball. Number two in the country in field goal percentage defense, number three in the country in points allowed. The problem with ten- Tennessee right now, they have some brutal scoring stretches. Okay. As of right now, as I record here, going into SEC play tomorrow, they actually play at Ole Miss. They really, you know, they average about 74 and a half points per game. They have five players in double figures, but they do go through these super long stretches where they just don't look right. Why I'm not really concerned about that. They did the same thing last year before turning it on before the NCAA tournament. I remember they played in the Jimmy V Classic last year in Madison Square Garden against Texas Tech. It was one of the worst offensive games that I have ever seen. And at the same time, they ended up figuring it out by the end. Tennessee offense is the problem. Alabama turnovers are the problem. And then finally, 
a team that I actually think might be the best team in the SEC if they can stay healthy is the Arkansas Razorbacks. I just don't know if they can stay healthy. Arkansas, to its credit, has a very nice out-of-conference resume so far. They did lose to Creighton in the Maui Invitational, but that is their only loss. They smacked Louisville. They beat a good San Diego State team. They came home and beat a good Oklahoma team on a neutral floor a few weeks ago. That's the positive. The other positive is they have two super dynamic guards in Ricky Council. Council's averaging 19, just under 19 points per game. And Nick, uh, excuse me, Anthony Black is averaging about 12 and a half, five rebounds, four assists per game. The problem is the name that I just mentioned, Nick Smith Jr. So we already know that Trevin Brazil, the star forward, is out for the year for Arkansas. Where you get worried if you're an Arkansas fan, Nick Smith Jr., who many believe will be a top five pick next year, there is now concerns about his knee. Remember, he missed early part of he missed the early part of the season with a knee problem. He is now out indefinitely with another knee injury. If Nick Smith Jr. comes back and is at something close to 100 percent I think Arkansas could win the national championship, as I just said last segment. Do worry a little bit about him. If it do worry a little bit about them if he does not come back. And really quickly, let me say this. What's exciting about the SEC isn't just those three teams, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee at the top. It isn't the intrigue of Kentucky or even an Auburn, who, if you remember, won the SEC last year. It's that second tier of teams that right now is playing really well. And the cool part is they all have big games at home tonight. So we're going to learn a lot about them. If you remember last offseason, the SEC had six coaching changes. So of the 14 teams currently in the SEC, six of them had coaching turnover. Why do I bring it up? It was because I told you when the coaching changes happened, I said, I think Chris Jans at Mississippi State is going to be the best coaching hire of the group. Dennis Gates of Missouri is going to be the second best hire. And Matt McMahon, who's now at LSU from Murray State, was going to be the third best hire. Why do I bring it up? Mississippi State, currently 11-1 and ranked. Missouri, currently 11-1, not ranked, but will be if they beat Kentucky. LSU, currently 11-1. When AT tells you something, you listen. 33 and 3 from these two teams, three, three teams. And I just think it adds a bunch of depth to, to, the, to the conference, okay? Overall, what stands out about these teams, they're all a little bit different. Mississippi State, Chris Jans, if you follow him, if you remember, he was at New Mexico State. They beat UConn in the opening round of the tournament, and they gave Arkansas fits in the second round. They are all about defense. I mentioned Tennessee's in the top five nationally in both scoring defense and field goal percentage defense. Did you know Mississippi State is as well? Mississippi State currently in the top five nationally in scoring defense and field goal percentage defense. I'll tell you this. I think it's a bad matchup for Alabama on the road to open SEC play. Look out for the upset potentially there. On the flip side, Missouri is a team that was really interesting about them. They're almost the opposite. Dennis Gates has been known as a defensive coach but they are putting the ball in the basket. Number two in the country, and this is crazy, number two in the country in scoring the Missouri Tigers. The Missouri Tigers are averaging just under 89 points per game. Demoy Hodge, who came with Dennis Gates, he was at Cleveland State. Demoy Hodge is averaging 17 points per game. Kobe Brown, 14 and a half points per game for them. I'll tell you, like I said, if Kentucky does not come ready to play, Missouri beats them. And then finally, LSU and Matt McMahon. LSU, I think they just got a, 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 a guy, a dude in Matt McMahon. And what I love about, about LSU, what I love about Matt McMahon, 
He brought a couple guys with him from Murray State to kind of establish the culture. K.J. Williams, 19 points, eight and a half rebounds per game. Justice Hill, a guard who actually started his career at Arkansas. Really like this LSU team. Really intrigued to see them tonight against Arkansas at home. Finally, last little note that I, I think is worth keeping an eye on in college hoops right now. The Big East is not living up to expectations at all, okay? So the Big East is really interesting because obviously Villanova has run that conference. Creighton has been on the way up, and UConn has been great this year. But I don't think any of us expected the seasons that we've gotten out of any of them. UConn, 13-0, number one team in the country, in my opinion, number two in most polls. They're really good. Problem is Villanova, as I said, is 7-5. and Creighton as well is 8-6. Eight and six. They went on a six-game losing streak. Now, as I've said previously, remember, one, they had a crazy travel schedule, okay? They went to Maui, played in the Maui Invitational, flew home, then immediately flew to Austin to play Texas before the Chris Beard incident, fly home, play one home game, then fly back to, then fly out to Vegas for two games in Vegas, then fly back home, go to Marquette in the Big East opener, and of those six losses, five of them came without their starting center, Ryan Kalkbrenner, who is an All-American type player. Ryan Kalkbrenner is now back. They are 2-0 and with him, and I think Creighton is going to be okay. Villanova, we discussed. What's interesting is that next tier in the Big East. Providence, as I record, is playing Marquette. Providence is, or excuse me, Providence is 10-3. and As I record, Marquette is playing against Seton Hall. Marquette 9-4. and And then, as I said, Xavier, a really interesting team at 10 and three. All right. I think that's it for the college hoops portion of today's Aaron Torres sports podcast. Well, really not really, because the bottom line is we got more college hoops. So what I want to do now, I do want to take a quick break. And when I come back, Steve Rivera, really fun guest, Steve Rivera. He has covered the Arizona Wildcats forever. He has a new book out about Lute Olson. Okay. We talked a little bit to him prior to the Christmas holiday. Today was the first day that I could run it, but Steve Rivera, a great guest. If you are a college basketball junkie, he has some incredible insight into Arizona basketball, everything that goes into that program. And why I believe it's one of the most underrated programs in college hoops, fun interview with Steve. You will enjoy it. I encourage you to stick around. If you love college basketball, if you're a junkie, Steve Rivera coming up next. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Foaling Warehouse on Sunday. New Year's Day, Bet Fred is throwing a great party. I'm going to try to get there. We'll see if Southwest has other plans for me, but that is the plan. Folding Warehouse, click the link in the show description to sign up to go. And that's all for today's show. Well, all for my part of today's show. So with that said, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. I'll be back on Friday, full bowl, full college football preview. Now, let's get to Steve Rivera on his new book on Ludos. All right, joining me via Zoom. So I'm really excited to have this guest. He's covered 
Arizona basketball, really college basketball as a whole for for quite a few years. I don't want to date you, uh, Steve Rivera. He is the author also of the new book, Lessons from Loot, Reflections on the Legendary Arizona Basketball Coach, Loot Olson. For everybody watching on YouTube, I'm going to put the book up right now. It is available. It is on newsstands. It is in stores. Steve Rivera is joining me. Steve, how are you doing today? Good morning. Fine. Uh, good to be with you, Aaron. A lot of fun. Hey, it's my beard ages me, so don't worry about aging me. Okay, well, well, I mean, you were there for the glory years of Arizona as Arizona re-enters glory years right now. And we're going to talk about the current Wildcats here down the road. Uh, we're recording here. I don't know exactly when this interview will run, but right after the IARP news comes out. So everything's turning up, Arizona Wildcats, especially with the way the team is playing right now. But first of all, you know, I've really enjoyed the book. So I'm a college hoops junkie. Everybody who listen, listens to this show knows that. Um, and, and really the book is, it's, it's exactly what you said, re- lessons from Luke and it's reflections. So it's, it's kind of first person stories from some of the best players that played for him, Luke Walton, Damon Stoudemire on and on, you know, what, what compelled you to, to want to write this book? Uh, how did it all come together? Cause I've, I've really enjoyed kind of reading it. It's a fun read for an Arizona fan that really just wants, you know, different perspectives on obviously the greatest coach in school history. Yeah, well, thanks, Eric. Uh, so about uh, 18 months ago, a friend of mine asked me, well, you, you know, you were close with Lute. Why don't you do a story uh, or a book on, on him uh, and your and your th- time with him? And I'm saying, well, that's going to be kind of boring. Uh, so let me get a hold of some players, 25 of them, for the 25 years he was here. Uh, in, in in that time, I maybe talked to a, a coach or two, Roy Williams. Uh, his, his biggest competition was Mike Montgomery. Spoke to him. His best player at Iowa, Ronnie Lester. Uh, so guys like that intertwined with Arizona, uh, administ- not administrators, because Mike uh, Murphy, uh, Coach Murphy is, is now an assistant at U of A, uh, understudies under Lute when he was here. So it's kind of like love letters or, you know, their sentiments for, for Lute and had a good time doing it, had a hard time contacting a few people and then finally did. So let me ask you, um, just the, the bigger picture on Lute Olson, because you and I were talking before the show uh, I, I think a lot of Arizona fans like me, and and I think, you know, it's funny, I've talked to guys in the media at Arizona, um, UConn, I'm a UConn alum, and the Arizona people tell me there's a lot of kindred kind of, uh, uh, um, you know, spirits between Lute Olson and Jim Calhoun, two titans of their era that really kind of largely historically have gone, I, I think, frankly, a little bit underappreciated, both of them. Really quickly, for, for people who don't know the background on Lute Olson, he, as you said, he came from Iowa. I think it's actually really interesting. He started as a high school coach. Do, do you know the story? I think it was what? He was about 35, 36 years old and said, I'm going to make a, a jump, right? He was at Long Beach State. He followed Jerry Tarkanian there. But th- that was the story, right? He was a high school coach doing really well. And he said, if I don't take this shot now, I never am. Is that is that an accurate story? That is, you know, he grew up in the Midwest, North Dakota, uh, out there, out that way, cold area. So he decided to come eat, uh, west uh, and, and become a head coach at Long Beach State. In fact, Mike Montgomery applied to be an assistant coach back in the day. You're talking early 70s uh, or mid 70s uh, out there. It did really well uh, taking over for Tark uh, in that one year he, he had uh, was promised. I think he was promised that things would not go bad with an investigation. Well, they went bad. Uh, so he jumped there to go to Iowa and had a fantastic career at Iowa, took him to the Final Four in 1990 with Ronnie Lester, uh, built that program, uh, 
very well. Obviously, everybody in Iowa back then loved him, kind of still do have this great memories of him. Um, uh, Roz and I were talking about that uh, not too long ago on my show. So, so, and then he decides to, to leave Iowa, surprisingly, leaves Iowa after helping them uh, build that program and comes here in 1983. Um, and, and what a career. Two years later, three years later, he's got the team in the or program in the, in the tournament. And the rest is kind of history. In 88, going to the Final Four for the first time. And it all started then. So let me ask you, because this is part of what I wanted to get to. Uh, again, Steve Rivera joining me, author of six books, including this one, Lessons from Loot. Uh, you've been around the program forever. And one of the things, again, that that I think Loot probably doesn't get enough credit for is the building of Arizona basketball. And it's no disrespect to say a Roy Williams who took over at North Carolina, Kansas established brands, um, you know, some of these other guys. But again, you know, I, I know the history of UConn basketball and how Jim Calhoun built it from the ground up. Tell us what Arizona was like before Lute Olson, uh, because I don't, I don't know much of the history, frankly, like what, what was it like and how quickly did he elevate it? Well, I can go back to some of the better times. Uh, Mid-70s, Fred Snowden was the coach. Uh, very good teams, lo loved to run it up and down. Uh, Bob Elliott, uh, guys like that. Uh, Al Fleming, who who got to the Elite Eight, lost to UCLA, and thinking on 75, I think it was. They had that good stretch of a few years, maybe a handful of years. Uh, but then Snowden became older, uh, didn't want to recruit that much. Uh, you were talking 70s, late 70s. He was let go. They brought in a, a guy. Uh, for one year, and, and and you know the guy was four and twenty-four out of Grand Canyon College, and uh, horrible. Cedric Dempsey, Dempsey was the AD, fresh AD, came in and decided we're not going to have any of this, and found, uh, not found, kind of persuaded Ludolson to come here in 1983, right after uh, uh, Iowa was almost on the verge of going to the Final Four. Had it not been for a couple of missed free throws, they would have been in the Final Four um, that night. Uh, Cedric went to talk to him to see if he wanted to maybe talk about the opening. Lute said, why are you bothering me now? Could we wait a day? You know, let me let me mm -hmm. uh, recover from this loss. So the next day they met, and uh, the rest is kind of history there too. What, how quickly, so year five, he goes to his first Final Four that was the famous Steve Kerr, Kenny Lofton team. Uh, and I'm sure there's some other notable names, but how, how quickly did he elevate it? And, and when, you know, you were around the, you've been around the program forever. Like when did Arizona, when did the brand, the program just ex like, I, I'm just, I think I've said it for years and I've, I've talked to people in our, our industry. I think Arizona is the biggest basketball brand West of, of Lawrence, Kansas. I know UCLA, maybe the, the you know, the history is more there. But the passion that the city of Tucson, the state of Arizona, has for the Arizona basketball program, I don't think people in other parts of the country realize how passionate the fan base is for Arizona basketball. When did that really come to be uh, under Lute Olson? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention 88 because that is the first Final Four, probably the second best in my mind, the second best team in the program's history. Sean Elliott, Steve Kerr, Kenny Lofton, Tom Tolbert, Anthony Cook, uh, uh, all these guys, so Judd Bushler, uh, fantastic team. They that's when they kind of the spark started. Uh, it sparked it, the spark had already started, but the fire had actually started because they went to the final four. They were probably arguably the best basketball team in the country. Oklahoma beat them, and then uh, then Kansas beat Oklahoma 
uh, with Danny Manning in 88. Uh, so, so Arizona started kind of like really getting there. Uh, they've, they've played very well since then. 89, they were the number one team in the country behind Sean Elliott. They get beat in the Sweet 16 by UNLV on a last second shot. Uh, but so that's still building. You know, they want to get that title after getting to the Final Four. So, but my thing that it may have started really, really getting really festered was the 94 year when they had um, Khalid Reeves, Damon Stoudemire, Joseph Blair, Reggie Geary, Corey Williams. It, you know, kind of a nondescript except for the two guards, probably the best guards in the country at the time, at least backcourt in the country with Damon and Khalid. Uh, they got to the Final Four, lost to Arkansas, and then you thought that, okay, here we go, we have a chance. Uh, 95, they were into the year number one, lost to Miami of Ohio. 96, they had a pretty good team, lost in the Sweet 16 to Syracuse. Uh, no, to Kansas, I'm sorry. And then the ex- next year, they had a chance to redeem themselves against Kansas in 87, and they come away with a huge victory over Kansas in the Sweet 16 at the time. Kansas was the best, easily the best team in the country, Jock Vaughn and those guys. And they win the title uh, unbelievably. Well, and, and so that was some of the narrative with Lute Olsen early, right? Because I remember the conversations. I mean, I think you mentioned in 93, was it, when they had a great team? They lose to Steve Nash and Santa Clara in the first round. Um and so that that was really kind of the narrative on loot, right? Was that that great regular season coach couldn't win the big one? Is that is that fair to say in the early to mid nineties? Very much so. In fact, that was the motto: couldn't win the big one. Because in ninety two they lost to in this ninety one ninety two was my first year of covering the team. Okay. Um, uh, so they lost to East Tennessee State the first the first oh. round, uh, and then they came back and they lose to Santa Clara the next first round, and those were the, the tie. Those that was a talk that he could not win the big one. Eventually, he would say, how many big ones do I have to win to win the big one? Sure. And eventually, he did win the big one. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Every game is becomes bigger and bigger. He eventually won the big one in 97. The book is called Lessons from Loot. Uh, Steve Rivera joining us. So, uh, what you know, first of all, I want to talk some of the guys. So, what were some of your favorite stories from the book that you were able to, to get out of guys? Yeah, so many. There was kind of a break, couple of breaking things in their first chapter. Uh, no one knew this, but Sean, Sean Elliott, uh, one of the great guys, the all-time best player here, he said that he was getting his degree as I was talking to him. This was last year, uh, calendar year, that he was getting his degree um, and he eventually got it over the summer, this last summer, a few months ago, because right. uh, he made a promise to his mom who passed recently and Loot, who he promised that he would. So he went and got his degree. No one really knew about it. So it's kind of breaking news in the book. Um, Damon Slattermeyer, who, who, if you know, is uh, not talkative, but a super guy, probably my favorite guy, uh, talked about one time he was being recruited by Loot. You're talking 1990, 91, something like that. Uh, rolled up in his, in his, uh, his uh, Lexus. Uh, did you read the chapter? He said, the only people I've ever seen in a Lexus are a drug dealer. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I, I, that one stood out for sure. <laughs> the only were drug dealers. And here was Loot. And you knew who Loot was, right? You tall dude, good looking guy. So he rolled up his Lexus, and the only guy he, the only guys he knew were people who were drug dealers, and and now basketball coaches. Yeah, uh, yeah. So many good ones. Luke Walton's uh, uh, introduction was was fantastic. All these guys had this unbelievable love for him, love for him. Maybe they were not intimidated. Might be the wrong word. Well, they played for him, but they loved playing for him because they learned how to play basketball the right way, and then afterward became close friends with him. Yeah, it's and that was really interesting. Was was reading some? I'll be honest, I haven't read every single chapter, but I read a lot of them. Is 
the guy, right? Because, and I remember, and I was young and whatever. I, I don't, you know, I was, I never covered him. I was never in a locker room with him. So maybe I have the wrong perspective, but I remember him being kind of this smooth guy, you know, on the sideline, always cool. The hair's always perfect. You know, the tie's always buttoned. I'm trying to think of an analogy, you know, it's not a perfect analogy, but you know, maybe Mark few now, you never really see him get super mad on the sidelines as opposed to, to say, uh, uh, whoever, a Calipari or whatever, that's always yelling sure. and screaming, what, but behind the scene, you know, it, and this was part of the book too, is, is it sounds like behind the scenes, he was really tough on guys. You know, like I said, it, it, it just seems like the guy was always calm, always cool. Maybe the opposite of the guy that I grew up watching Jim Calhoun, who was always screaming, who the tie was always disheveled. What was loot like behind the scenes? Because, you know, again, it, it, I, I think the public perception is probably a little bit different than what actually covering him and being around him every day. Well, first of all, he, he's a good looking dude, right? Every All the moms loved him. I, that was very apparent in the book. If you sure. won the moms over, the kid was going to go there. So he was a good looking guy, uh, dapper, dressed well, even in casual affairs or casual um, dealings, he would just kind of look good, look good. I remember we'd go out to give book signings for his book and, and mine, and the women loved him. And, and here I'm 30 years younger. I was chopped liver. The dude, <laughs> sure. the dude was, the dude was always being loved, wanted to be uh, pictures or whatever. Um, but behind the scenes, just that the same kind of guy, a casual guy, unflappable, a very dry sense of humor. You you would get it if you knew who he was, uh, but you know, and kind of like a zinger every now and again. If he liked you, he'd throw a zinger at you. Uh, but a good dude, a good dude. When I was young and I covered him, the one thing that I used to say was, you know, if he didn't have to deal with the media or anything else, and he could go coach basketball on Mars, he would mm -hmm. do that yeah. just because he loved co coaching basketball. That there's a lot of guys like that. I'm sure in the the women's game, a lot of females like that as well. That just. The, the, like I always say that about Calipari is like, you know, people criticize Calipari for this, that, the other thing. And, and I've gotten to know him just a tiny bit through the years. And, you know, the recruiting stuff, people, oh, you know, he's such a salesman. I, I think he genuinely enjoys. I think the, his favorite part of the job is going into a kid's home and talking about if you follow this path, you know, you're going you're gonna to change your family's lives for generations and generations. So I'm not surprised by that. By the way, you said you thought the 94 team was, or I think you said 94 was, or no, 88 was maybe his best, second best team. What was the best team? Because 97, when they won it all, that was probably not on paper his best team. No, you're right. Uh, so I'll go in order because I was on A.J. Brownish uh, show not too long ago. And I, he gave me or asked me for the list. So 2001 was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gilbert Arenas, uh, Richard Jefferson, Mike Wright, uh, Lauren Woods, um, uh, Luke Walton, these guys, the, the very good team, lost to Duke in the finals. Uh, had it not been for a uh, uh, Jason Gardner, let me not forget Jason Gardner. Uh, had it not been for a Gilbert getting hurt in the chest, uh, a, a previous game, Luke Walton had his thumb, it was broken. Um, they could have probably beaten Duke. It's you know, who's to say that one, 88, number two, uh, 97, no, actually, 98. Three. Yeah, that was a good team. Ninety-eight was a better team than ninety-seven. The, it, just the same guys. They all came everybody. back. They were awesome. Yeah, I remember them. Crushing them. Ninety-seven, probably four. And two thousand three. Yeah. Two thousand three. That team. That team lasted longer on at the number one spot throughout the year than any of the other teams. And that was with Luke, uh, Hassan Adams, those guys, Salim Sotomayor, those guys. Yeah, a couple of things really on. on Loot. And it's funny because I remember, you know, during the Tommy Lloyd hire, I remember talking about this is that 
people, you know, there was the weird moment where everybody knew the school wanted Tommy Lloyd, but there was a very out outspoken group of former players that wanted a former player, whether it was Damon Stoudemire or whomever. I can't remember all the name, Miles Simon, maybe. But why I bring it up is because I don't think people realize how many great, great NBA players played under Lute Olsen. I mean, you just, I mean, when you think about the great Lute Olsen players, you know, you think of Steve Kerr, Mike Bibby, whomever, you don't even necessarily, it takes a while to get down the list of a Luke Walton who played probably 10, 12 years in the NBA, Richard Jefferson, Channing Fry, guys like that. That's what I think, you know, great teams, but I think he gets underrated for his eye for talent and his develop development of talent, maybe a little bit. I, I, you know, I think the guy that Arizona's got right now may have that reputation about 15, 20 years from now. With without question, Aaron, I think that's a keen observation by you. One of the things that Luke did was he he uh, he recruited uh, talented players without question, but good dudes who knew that they were coachable. That uh, mm. he, he knew they were coachable and they would fit into his system like a puzzle piece. Um, some of the guys were not that uh, highly recruited, you know. Uh, and, and you mentioned you didn't mention Sean Elliott, uh, mm. Gilbert. Uh, are you Guadala? What was guys? the Gilbert Arena story? What he was very under recruited, right? Very recruited out of uh, out of Hollywood, California. Uh, Lute going into his room or his house uh, with his family and 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 having the national championship ring and knocking it on the table as a distraction, you know, sure. and then eventually showing the ring, obviously. But Gilbert was just a, a not. He was a re- good recruit, but you know, not Gilbert, right? Not mm-hmm. this guy, Gilbert. Uh, so many guys that just fit the pieces together, and it really worked. A guy that's unassuming is Chris Mills. Come on, sure. um, one of the best players, uh, one of the most underrated players, had a good career in the NBA. Uh, but to your question, which again, which again was oh the development without question, he, he was fantastically. He came from the John Wooden school of fundamentals. Fundamentals, fundamentals. You do things right in practice, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You be prepared for Thursday's and Saturday's game. Didn't call timeouts much. If you got in trouble, you had to work yourself out because we had already discussed this, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So Tommy is a lot like that. In fact, he just talked about that earlier this week when he didn't call a timeout against Indiana. But they got through it. So that's what I was going to ask you. Um, I'll be honest. You know, I... um. I'm blown away by the Tommy Lloyd stuff. And, you know, I was through the years, a defender of Sean Miller. I thought some of the NCA stuff, which I've talked about ad nauseum and it's over and Arizona fans can move on. I thought it was unfair to Sean, but when they did leave, you know, I, I, I thought it was, you know, Oh, okay. You're just going to hire the the great assistant coach off the, the, the hot program at that moment. And I am blown away by Tommy Lloyd because, you know, he comes in last year. And I always said this is I think Sean deserves some credit for leaving the cupboard full. But, man, Sean could not have done last year what Tommy did with that group. But, you know, you have we we knew Matherin was an NBA player. Dale and Terry, Christian Coloco developed under Tommy this year. You looked at him on paper. I did not see this coming at all. I'll be I'll be perfectly honest. I thought they were maybe a nice top 20 team. But I also thought that Courtney Ramey, the transfer from Texas, was going to be that key piece that maybe elevated them. He doesn't even play to start the season. As we record here, they're currently ranked whatever. They're getting ready to play Tennessee. Um, and like, like one, I don't know how much you're around the team on a daily basis anymore, but how impressed with you have you been with Tommy Lloyd? Because I've been blown away. I give him so much credit 
uh, for not only last year, but I think even more impressively the start in, in this season, 2022-2023. Incredibly impressed. I couldn't even probably talk enough about it. Uh, one, he's a normal guy. He's a normal guy. Uh, at least he doesn't come off pretentious. He's just an every every gay, everyday guy. He talks about you know being paycheck to paycheck in terms of how he thinks and how he acts and how he uh, coaches. Um, and what a fantastic type of attitude one, especially with colleges coaches who make millions, right? Yes. And they're they're the talk of the town. He he's not that guy. Uh, he 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 gets them or lets them to play. He gets them to play and lets them play. Which is yeah. a lot like Luke, like we discussed. Uh, which was uh, probably not the case under Sean, and I think you would agree with me with that. Yeah, uh, it's it's no secret that you know the guys would have to look back to the bench to see what played a run, and it was a little stilted or, or whatever. But and Tommy lets him play, and I think this group that Sean had, great group of guys, very good players, they adapted well because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to play. And, and what kid, 18, 19, 20 years old, doesn't just want to go play basketball with some direction, of course, with but without the fear of messing up? Mm-hmm. No, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, even the thing that that's my very limited interactions with Tommy, but I was in town last year for the UCLA game. And for Arizona fans that are listening will remember if, if there's any other non-Arizona fans listening, they might not. But Arizona had played at UCLA literally probably about a week to 10 days before it was kind of a weird COVID makeup game. And I know it sounds crazy, but we were still making up COVID games at this time last year. It was the first game Pauly Pavilion had fans in the stands in a couple weeks and Arizona got boat raced. And so, you know, I was in town for the return game in Tucson and I went to practice the day before and you would, you would have thought it was, you know, a practice in September, a month before the season starts. Tommy was just so cool, you know, take, you know, little pointers here and there, but throughout practice, you never got the sense of probably the biggest game of our season is coming up. And so again, I I don't claim to know him well, uh, but I'm so impressed. And the other thing too, and we just talked about it with loot is the development of players. I mean, you look at this year's team, every single guy on the roster is better than last year. The ones that returned specifically Umar Balo. So I, I see a lot of parallels and I, I didn't even necessarily put it together in my head until we started talking, Steve, but um, the parallels between Tommy and uh, between Tommy and Luke. Yeah, without question. Uh, letting them play, the development is, is a fantastic word because it's true. Uh, in my time here, I think that Channing Fry, maybe A.J. Bramlett, there might be another player or two, and Balo, the top three oh, wow. guys who improved since they got here. A.J. was a project coming in. He, he'll agree with that. Won a title. Was a fantastic player by the end. Channing Fry, this seven-foot skin guy, skinny, skinny guy who turned out to be this guy in the NBA. Uh, and now Balo, who, who was just a dude, kind of like the backup to Coloco, and now he is the dude. Uh, and one of the best centers, just so mobile, runs the court so fluidly. You wouldn't think that after last year. And uh, kind of almost a go-to guy. At least he's the guy to go to right away to get established. Really cool. Okay, so a couple questions we'll let you go. One, so I got to ask, we kind of loosely talked about it, but so I am a historian of college basketball, but I love Jerry Tarkanian stories. I, I I think the guy was, one, I think he was an incredible coach. He doesn't get credit for it because of the way everything ended. Two, you know, you go back to to that era. It's a, like like a lot of the stuff that he was doing back then, and I've had his son on this show. So he, he said, you know, it the stuff that you think my dad did, he didn't really do 
But did he make sure that a kid had a meal every now and again? Yeah. And it's like a, a lot of the stuff, you know, you get laughed at, it, you know, you'd laugh now about some of the stuff. Now, some of it was very serious, whatever. The point I'm trying to bring up, I don't know how truly, how truly um, these two did not like each other, but the background, I believe, and and I know the Tom Tolbert uh, interview talks about it a little bit, but, you know, the background was one, Lute Olson followed Jerry Tarkanian at Long Beach State. And I don't know if Jerry or someone told Lute that there was going to be no problems with the NCA, and then there were. And then there was, of course, the Tom Tolbert. Uh, you can tell the story better than I can about Jerry Tarkanian thought that that Lute may have done something nefarious to get Tom Tolbert. But how how real was that rivalry? How much did they not like each other? Oh, very much so. It was it was a heated rivalry, especially because back then, back in the late '80s or early '90s, UNLV was this team, right? You know, mm-hmm. with the, with with those guys, Anderson Hunt and 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 Mama, what's it, Johnson and uh, Augman and all these guys. Um, and Arizona was the up and coming guy. They wanted to be the best team in the West, and they sometimes were, sometimes weren't. Uh, but there was a definite rivalry. Uh, I remember going up to to Vegas for a couple of games. Uh, crazy time in Thomas and Mac, crazy times down here. Uh, eventually, you know, told the Tober story is true because he was headed there. And if you read the chapter, yeah, he, he, it was like moments, moments before, uh, Tark went to see him to get the sign seal and delivery. Uh, but he was gone. He went to a little league game to see his son, his brother and wasn't there. It wasn't there to sign anything or be changed, have his mind changed. He decided, I'm going to Arizona. Uh, and he said, you know, if I went to Vegas, I would have probably been in a lot of trouble because, you know, he likes to kind of play the play the ponies and do all that stuff, what Vegas is known for. So that was probably the best move for uh, for Tolbert. And then Matt Offit comes along, uh, a Vegas guy. And uh, he kind of gets uh, swept under uh, the, not the rug, but he swept to come to Arizona. And he's here now. And then the, the rivalry continued. The rivalry continued uh, until until that one day when Matt Matt Othick brought them together at Del Mar Racetrack. Really, uh, I didn't yeah. even read that part. Yeah, you got to read that chapter. Of, of, of uh, they were both there at the same time. So was uh, so was Cedric Dempsey. And Matt Othick said, "Could you go and take a picture with me?" And brought both of them together, and it was a fantastic picture. That's incredible. And I they did stayed, not... and they stayed talking to each other the rest of the day. That's funny. Yeah, no. So for people who don't know, Tarkanian used to call Lute Olsen Midnight Loot because he'd sneak in in the middle of the night and steal your recruits. And Tarkanian thought uh, thought that, uh, you know, there was something nefarious going on. Uh, really quick, anything else on the book? Again, the book is Lessons from Loot, uh, Reflections on a legendary on the legendary Arizona basketball coach, Lute Olsen. Uh, anything else that we have not hit on that you think people need to know about the book? No, just just that there's a bunch of great guys that played for him. Uh, throughout his whole career, 25 years, uh, a lot of a lot of wins, a lot of wins, a lot of great games. Uh, the the Stanford stuff was fantastic. They had this great uh, rivalry with Montgomery, but there was that great respect as well. Uh, Roy Williams, the same thing. They played them a number of times, knocked each other off in huge games uh, to get to the uh, Final Four. Each one of them uh, benefiting from that. Uh, but it, it was a fun book to write because – they're great guys, and they had spent time with me, coming up with some great stories that uh, about their coach. I mean, a guy that they truly, truly loved, and 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 we're still distraught about him passing months afterward. Very interesting. Steve Rivera is the author. Uh, he is on Twitter at Steve Rivera ninety five. 
you host on 1450 out there in Arizona Fox Sports Radio. Man, I appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. Like I said, as a college hoops junkie, people I assume can get the book pretty much everywhere. I mean, uh, you know, for people that don't live in Tucson or even people that do live in Tucson, what's the best bet? Well, I'd like to get them for me so I can sign them and send it to them because if you get in the store, they won't uh, they won't have a signature. But if you email me at Steve dot Rivera, R-I-V-E-R-A nine five at Gmail dot com, they can email me. I'll stick it in the mail. Uh, right away, and and they'll have it as soon as they as soon as they get it, and 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 I get their information. I gotta have you on my radio show, there, Eric. You let me know. I you know I was supposed to uh, one of the are there uh, there might be more than one radio. Three. Okay, three. yeah, I, I didn't want to drop anybody else's call letters there, but uh, I was supposed to do one earlier this week, and I had to bail. I was actually uh, in Vegas for the Creighton Arizona State game, and um, and just the schedule didn't work out, but. You let me know. Again, the book is Lessons from Loot. Steve Rivera is the author. You can email him specifically for an autographed copy. But, man, I appreciate the time, and and thank you for doing this, Steve. A lot of fun, Aaron. I appreciate you. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work, limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.